Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good afternoon and welcome to Taking You to School, the only college basketball show on the RF Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Joe Perello of SweetSports.com. That's S-U-I-T-E, Sports.com. We think we're pretty funny. You should check us out. Here with me are two of the brightest young basketball minds in the Northeast, if I do say so myself. First, my colleague at Sweet Sports. He also contributes for ESPN's Clipper blog and Hoop Speak, Jeremy Conlon. How you doing, Jeremy? Glad to be here. That was, that was a good introduction for you, wasn't it? I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. Uh, also joining us, the creator of one of the most successful, and i got to say one of the funniest Hoops blogs on the net, Round Ball Daily, we have Kels Dayton. Kels also contributes at Sheridan Hoops and has written for Slam Magazine and their website. How are you doing, Kels? No, that was an outstanding introduction there, John. I'm, gl- I'm glad you guys like my intros. That's, see, that's why I'm the host. But, uh, you know, I got you guys to talk basketball. Uh, anyways, for those of you listening, if you'd like to call in, talk to one of my esteemed colleagues. Uh, at any time, you can call in at 323-927-2906. Once again, that's 323-927-2906. Also, if you're watching us on Blog Talk Radio, the number's right in front of you, so just look at it. Uh, let's get things started with a few blue blood programs that needed big wins this week, and they all ended up delivering, starting with the Kentucky Wildcats, who picked up perhaps their most important win of the season, defeating Missouri 90-83 to in overtime in Lexington last night. Particularly, uh, particularly important win because it showed Kentucky can actually beat a team with a pulse after the loss of freshman sensation Nerlens Noel. Keep in mind, this was a Missouri team that just beat Florida. So, Kells, I'll go to you. The Wildcats do have a lot of talent albeit young talent, with Alex Poitras and Willie Cauley-Stein. But John Calipari, he's used to winning with young teams. Can this team make some noise in the tournament? Well, you know, first I think they got to make the tournament, and I think that's going to be <laughs> something that is not a lock right now for them. Uh, I think the Missouri win was huge for them, mm-hmm. absolutely, especially in overtime. It's a home game. But you look at, I mean, really, you look at their wins, and I, I don't know what their best win is this year. You look at Mississippi, no. I think, yeah. on the road, is probably maybe their best win. Um, I think they're still going to have to win. You know, obviously they're going to have to beat Mississippi State, who's awful, in their next game. Uh, I think they're going to have to win at Arkansas and maybe get one more quality win. So um, if they lose some of these games here down the stretch, they might not even make the tournament. But I think if they do get in, they could be a team that they could make noise in that first round just because they have so much talent. Uh, Archie Goodwin, I think, has, has really come on strong. Yeah. He had a great game against Missouri uh, last night. So I think they have a chance to make some noise in the tournament, but I think first they've got to get in. Fair enough, fair point. And and that kind of speaks to the larger question of, you know, does the SEC deserve that many teams in? The SEC has been pretty weak as a whole this year. Uh, like you say, when your big wins over Mississippi, I, I don't know if that's a that's a great uh, tournament resume, but, but your point is well taken. Right. When you look at Alabama as well, that's another team yeah. that uh, – would be on the bubble with them, and, and Kentucky lost at Alabama. So yes. it's going to be interesting to see if they actually make it in. That That's true, but Alabama isn't helping themselves either. Uh, 
Moving over to the two other Blue Blood programs, and they've done a bit more winning of late. Uh, the Kansas Jayhawks have won four in a row after that three-game losing streak uh, with huge wins over an underrated Oklahoma State team and a big in-state win, obviously, over Kansas State. Uh, the Tar Heels, meanwhile, have won three in a row, including a big win. They kind of cooled off a surging Virginia team, and they beat rival NC State. Uh, Jeremy, I know you're a big NBA guy. as You're a big-time Clipper blogger at the moment. Uh, scouts have been drooling all over the sweet stroke of Ben McLemore, the freshman out of Kansas, uh, but he's been a little inconsistent this year. What's your take on him as an NBA prospect? Um, I think it's pretty bright. Um, if for no other reason that he projects as a shooting guard, um, like if you look at the last couple of drafts, like going back to like 08, 07, something like that, like all the best guys have either been big guys or point guards. And like it's point guards, especially like Rose, Westbrook, Irving, Lawson, you know, I'm obviously leaving out a few guys, but it's like six or eight all-star caliber guys at point guard. The only good shooting guard that's come out the last couple of years has been James Harden. But like, yeah, people are just any half decent shooting guard in college is going to get bumped up in the draft board just because the position is so weak right now. Um, but even like, even if that wasn't the case, like he's a relay dynamic scorer. Um, he's mm-hmm. pretty creative off the bounce. He has all the tools athletically to be a really good defensive player. Like he's not quite there yet in terms of his like NBA readiness on defense, but he has all the athletic tools that you need. Um, so, I mean, and the Noel injury is definitely going to help him in terms of his, his stock. Like, right now, he's number one on the ESPN big board. Uh, he's number mm-hmm. two on Draft Express, I think. Um, so, going forward, he's going to be good. I mean, and even right now, like, you know, you mentioned Kentucky was having some trouble. North Carolina's been having some trouble. But Kansas has been pretty good all year. Um, and he's yeah. really been the driving force behind that. He's like, he's their best scorer. Uh, he's their most creative player off the dribble. So, he's definitely got a bright future. Yeah, and other than that three-game winning streak, you're right. Or Kansas, pardon me, I almost said Kentucky. Kansas has been really good this year. It's just that you know they win the Big Twelve with such regularity. Whenever they have a little low, we 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 kind of get on them a little bit, you know. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll go back to you, Kells, here, and uh, I got to ask you the same thing about North Carolina that I just asked you about Kentucky. How dangerous is this team? I mean, they're relatively young too. They look like old men compared to Kentucky because they've got guys like P.J. Harrison and James Michael McAdoo who are, oh, they're so old, they're, they're sophomores. <laughs> so, you know, how far can this can Roy Williams take this North Carolina team? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, about a month ago I would have said they're not going anywhere. But uh, <laughs> they've really picked it up as of late. They won six of eight here. And um, mm-hmm. you take a look at some of their wins, obviously the close loss at Duke was very encouraging. Um, mm-hmm. You look at the beat Virginia, which Virginia's been playing really well as well. Uh, beating NC State, I think, especially was a good win. And they have, they almost have as much talent as Kentucky when you look at their roster. Yeah. Uh, you look at, obviously, James Michael McAdoo, who's been a great player for them, leading scorer for them this season. Uh, Reggie Bullock, he's averaging 14-6 and mm-hmm. six this year. Uh, P.J. Harrison, I think the problem is the backcourt. Uh, they really yeah. need somebody who's going to be able to take over in that backcourt and, and really run their offense, and especially when you get into the tournament because you've got half-court sets, you've got to score – uh, in the half court, and I think they do have the go-to guy to do that, but the point guard is going to be the issue. Um, I think it's going to depend, again, like Kentucky, with how they finish the season. Uh, you take a look at the remaining games, obviously, against Duke again uh, at the end of the year. They have a game, big game at Maryland, uh, Florida State, who's a, a tricky team. Uh, you never know with yeah. them. But I think, I think it's going to be interesting if they if they can you know keep the momentum they have going right now. I think they've got a chance to 
maybe make some noise, maybe get into the uh, second round, or as they're calling it, the third round now of the uh, tournament. <laughs> uh, I don't think they're a Sweet 16 team, but I think they can maybe pull yeah. an upset. Okay. And Oh, yeah, I don't even get me started on the third round, second round thing. Well, here's something interesting that I, I'll go to you, Kel, because we, we do have a little time. We're a little ahead of schedule. Would it, how cool would it be to see a North Carolina-Kentucky matchup in the play-in games? Oh, that would be unbelievable. That <laughs> that would be the I, – I think that might be the best-case scenario for the NCAA. Um, I, that, that would really be a great game. I think that the matchup this year would be interesting. Um, I think I kind of like Kentucky in that matchup when you look at just – the size they have inside. Um, but, uh, you know, that that would really be, ratings-wise, probably the best-case scenario for them and I think certainly better than uh, VCU, USC, and some of the games we've had before. Uh, Iona, BYU. But I think, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, they always say that they don't pick matchups based on TV, but if something like that happens, you never know. Oh, yeah. I mean, if it's presented to you, that, that might do better ratings than a Final Four game between Gonzaga and Butler. So, uh <laughs> You're right. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, I guess we'll move over. We'll stay in the ACC with uh, moving from the Tar Heels, though, over to the Miami Hurricanes, who uh, had been the hottest team in college basketball. They finally lost yesterday uh, after winning their previous 14 and starting the ACC season an absurd 13-0. and uh, In that span, the Canes blew out Duke and North Carolina, and they pretty much made a habit of holding teams into the 50s, every now and then the 60s, held a couple teams in the 40s. They were playing great defense. But yesterday they traveled to face a mediocre, to put it nicely, Wake Forest team, and they gave up 80. So I guess the question to both of you, uh, is this a bump in the road? I mean, you know, teams lose. It happens. Uh, Or is this kind of a sign that maybe Miami isn't for real and they were just on a little bit of a magical run? And uh, I guess we'll we'll go to Jeremy. We haven't heard from you in a while. Jeremy, you want to take this one first? Yeah, um yeah. They had a bit of a problem throughout the stretch. Like, not all of these games were blowouts. Like, the NC State yeah. game was a close game. Um, but there was, there, was a lot, there was a few of them where they fell behind by, you know, 10, 12 points even in the second half. But they were all able to come back and, and pull out the wins. But you just you can't do that, you know, 15 times. Like, eventually, one of those times, you're not going to be able to make up that lead. And that's sort of what happened against Wake Forest yesterday. Like, they, they got down early, and... You know they're they're kind of a frenetic team, which allows yeah. them to make big comebacks. But like if if it, it just comes down like if their shots aren't falling, they're not falling. Like you can't just you can't manufacture points when you're playing that style. Um, so like obviously they weren't going to win out, um, but the, you mean they're still a pretty good team. They're like they're going to you know be a Sweet 16 or better at the at the worst I think. Um, but it just comes down to the, the the point that you can't get down by 10, 12 points in second half, and it's just expect to make up those points. Um, it's sort of unrelated, but I think yesterday was the first time that a court has ever been rushed following beating Miami. So that was kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that might be true. And, you know, I'm from South Florida, but, oh, man, I got my brother who went to University of Miami telling me how great the Hurricanes are. I, I believe he called the ACC a new power basketball conference, and I – I had to say only a Hurricane fan could say that because this is the first year you're paying attention to basketball. Uh, <laughs> Kels, we'll, we'll, we'll go to you. What, what do you like and, and what do you kind of dislike about the games? How far do you think they can go? Well, I think uh, the game obviously yesterday was interesting because Wake Forest this year has, even though they're only 5-9, and 12-14 overall, they've played well in some games. They almost beat Duke at home, 
especially at home, they played really well. So I think you're right. I think teams do lose, and I think that was what happened with them. But most of the time, especially when they play in that half-court style, um, we saw their ugly win over Clemson uh, on February 17th, uh, ugly win over Virginia as well. When they have to play half-court, it's kind of a problem for them. They're only they're 142nd in the country in points per game. Uh, yeah, they did have some games where they blew people out, scored 90 on Duke, uh, 87 on North Carolina. But even earlier in the season, uh, on Christmas Day, when they lost to Indiana State, uh, 57-55, you know, they lost to Florida Gulf Coast. They only scored 51. They can't be giving up, you know, 80 points in a game and expect to win. So especially when you look at uh, the firepower that they have, Durant Scott is the leading scorer at 13 points per game, per game for them. Yeah. Uh, so I think if they want to win, they have to kind of slow the game down. Um, have to try to, you know, get out and, and run on, on uh, fast breaks and, you know, get points, get easy points, and especially uh, hold teams defensively in the half course. So I think it's going to be about pace for them. I think it's going to be about matchups. I think they could lose early in the in the tournament, especially because they are a young team and they're going to have that uh, expectations. They haven't been there before. It's kind of like Missouri last year losing to Norfolk State. Yeah. I could see yeah. the same kind of thing happening to Miami because they don't have that history. But, you know, it's going to be interesting. It, it, just like everyone else, it's all about matchups, and I think that's going to be the big thing with Miami when it comes to the tournament. Yeah, I, I hear you, and I think of Miami as the quintessential uh, high-ceiling, low-basement team where uh, I don't think anything they do in the tournament would surprise me. Uh, Jeremy, over to you. You had uh, something else to add about the Hurricanes? Yeah, um, I mean, if you just look through their schedule um, in terms of some of their wins, like they only won by one against BC, who sucks. Yeah, um, they do. You know, like a lot of like really, they're they're all low scoring games, but mm-hmm. when you're playing really low scoring games, it's hard to blow teams out. Um, and if you look at some of the advanced stats about like scoring margin and stuff like that, you'll see that it is a really good predictor for future success. Um, and there's a stat called simple rating system, which combines um, scoring margin with your strength of schedule. And Miami's only mm-hmm. 16th in the country. Like they're behind Oklahoma State and Minnesota and Arizona. Who's like they're not you know powerhouse teams, but they're pretty underrated, and they seem to blow teams yeah. out. To play they're, they've played a tougher schedule than Miami has. Um, so if you're looking like just at their one loss, Miami looks like they're a top five team. But when you start to like sort of dig into the numbers, they're really not as good as they look. Like they're barely ahead of VCU in terms of the simple rating system. Okay, fair enough, fair point. And obviously, you know teams like I, I think Oklahoma State's been underrated all year, and a, a team like Minnesota playing in what, you know, everybody's calling the best Big Ten in decades. And, you know, they have some quality wins, but some bad losses as well. Uh, they're another interesting team to keep an eye on. Should they make the tournament, they might just wet the bed and uh, ruin it for themselves. Uh, but moving along, let's move to the Big East, which will not exist in its current format next year, sadly. Uh, and we'll talk about the Georgetown Hoyas. The uh, Fighting Auto Porters got a huge win in the Carrier Dome yesterday against Syracuse and snatched first place in the Big East. Uh, it was also the last time these two historic rivals will meet in the Carrier Dome as members of the same conference. Uh, Syracuse set the head to the ACC. Uh, anyways, Porter scored a career-high 33 in an otherwise offensively deficient game, and the Hoyas pulled away to win 57-46. to uh, I got different questions for each of you to uh, cater to your specific expertise. Jeremy, I know you're a big fan of Porter. Uh, how do you see him developing as an NBA prospect? He's, a li- he's been kind of labeled as this jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none. But when he goes off, he can really score it, too. Yeah, I mean, the comparison that I keep making in my own head is Jeff Green, just because they both 
basically played the same position for Georgetown. But the difference mm-hmm. is Porter's actually good. Like, Jeff Green <laughs> was basically just an athlete once he got to the yeah. NBA. He didn't really have any NBA skills. Um, but yeah. Porter's a really good shooter. Um, I mean, well, at least this year he's shooting 45% from three. So that will probably translate to, you know, slightly less at the NBA level, but probably still pretty good. Um, he draws fouls pretty well. He's a very good rebounder for his position. Um, and he's he's pretty dynamic on defense. Like, he's a really good wing defender. He's got a lot of length. Um, he really projects as, like, a 3-4 combo type player, like Thaddeus Young for the Sixers. Um, and if he um, – like, he, he, he can be a little bit out of control off the dribble, uh, but if he mm-hmm. sort of, um, you know, just slows himself down on, on offense a little bit, um, he could definitely be an all-star caliber forward uh, going forward. Yeah, and I'll be asking a lot of them. Obviously, you look at the guy. He seems to have the physical tools, so it's not uh, all that out of the realm of possibility. Kells, uh, looking at both Georgetown and Syracuse, both clearly have the pieces to make a tournament run, and each has scored some pretty big wins this year. Uh, Syracuse may be struggling a little bit with consistency, but still, obviously, Jim Beheim's going to have them ready to play. Uh, which one of these two do you think is better suited for the one-and-done format of the NCAA tournament? Uh, that's a great question, Joe. Uh, I've been thinking about this back and forth, and I know Georgetown is on fire right now. They've won nine in a row. Um, mm-hmm. But I still think, you know, Syracuse is more talented, and I think, you know, that zone, of course, a zone defense that they love to run, uh, really can cause problems for some teams in the tournament. And I think that that's maybe the reason why that they're more suited to go farther on. You look at Georgetown, and obviously they have Otto Porter, but after that they can really struggle to score at times. Uh, they've, they've lost some games where they only put up 48 against Marquette. Uh, they beat Tennessee 37-36 to in what might have been the worst basketball game. They might have sent <laughs> basketball back like 10 years in that game. Uh, lost to South Florida. So they've really had some games where you just kind of scratch your head. And I know they've turned it on of late. And uh, Syracuse is going through that, that stretch that, you know, a lot of teams have gone through. Kansas has gone through uh, a lot of teams this season where they, they're just really struggling right now, struggling to score as well. But I think if I have to take one or the other, I think because of the leadership, you look at Brandon Trish, uh, you look at C.J. Fair and company, Michael Carter-Williams is a, a great player who can go off at any time. I'm taking Syracuse. If i got to take one of them. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, though. Uh, I don't think, you know, either of them are great teams. I think the Big East is a little bit down. But if i got to mm-hmm. pick one, I'm going with the Orange. Okay. Uh, and I guess we're a couple minutes ahead of schedule before I want to get to our last subject. So I'm going to go a little bit off the uh, off the schedule of you guys and, and ask you kind of two teams, well, one team from each of you, that you think is a little bit underrated and can make a little bit more noise in March than people are giving them credit for. Uh, they can be a ranked team. You know, I'm not going to make you reach and, you know, tell me that Minnesota is going to go too far. But, uh, you know, a team like Oklahoma State that is ranked – but seems to consistently get snubbed. You know, who do you think out of these kinds of teams, these these teams to non-ranks, that you think could make maybe make a run to the Elite Eight? Well, I'll take that one first, Joe. I think uh, St. Louis right now is on fire. You look at them; yeah. they're ten and two in the Atlantic Ten, twenty-one and five overall. Uh, they've won eight or nine in a row. Um, obviously, they struggled with uh, Rick Majerus. Uh, obviously, his <laughs> passing um, in the yeah. middle of the season, which which was terrible, but um, yeah. you look at their defense is just unbelievable. When you look at the guys, they have Jordan Jet, 
uh, is a quality player for them in that Atlantic 10. They beat Butler at Butler, which is just an, an amazing win in that conference, and they've really taken over as the leader in the Atlantic 10. So I like St. Louis, um, and I agree with you with Oklahoma State. I think Marcus Smart is probably the most underrated player in college basketball. Uh, you look at his numbers. They showed it on uh, ESPN during the Kansas game a couple of days ago. He's averaging Jason Kidd-like numbers in college right now, which is amazing. When you look at uh, rebounding, steals, assists, he does it all. And I think he should be an All-American candidate. I think he's got a chance maybe to be first-team All-America. So I think those two teams are two teams I would watch out for. And then, obviously, i got to mention right now, uh, South Dakota State with my boy Nate Walters. He scored uh, 53 <laughs> points. You don't want to play them in the first round. If he's going to light you up, that, that could be a one-and-done situation for anybody. So those are my three. All right, I, I got you. And and Nate, does he contribute at your blog? I, I know you guys have some kind of uh, some kind of thing going yeah, on with him, don't you? He, he was actually supposed to. He hasn't done it yet. Um, I think maybe when we get sorts of conference tournaments, he might. But uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm hoping he he actually does because I think that would be interesting. Yeah, you know, you know he, he's too busy dropping fifty on people to write for you guys. Exactly. Right? I, I mean, I can't blame him, but you know. <laughs> okay, uh, Jeremy, do you have anybody or? Uh... What are you thinking right yeah, now? Yeah, the, the teams that I would look at um, are the teams that are sort of like in the mix in the Big Ten, but not quite at the top, like Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois. Um, mm. Like none of them are Final Four caliber teams, I don't think. Um, but just by way of their schedule, like that they have to play, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, like all the top teams in Michigan State, all the top teams in the Big Ten. That's you know, they're piling up losses, but those are really, yeah. really good teams um, that they're losing to. And the, like, it's not like they're getting blown out. So if, if you yeah. look at Wisconsin's schedule, Minnesota's schedule, Illinois' schedule, a lot of their losses are close losses in the Big Ten. Uh, and once they get out of conference play in the tournament, you know, if they're running up against, you know, ACC teams, Big East teams, Pac-12 teams, I would, I'm like, I'd when I'm filling out my bracket this year, if it comes down to a Big Ten team against anybody else, I'm just going to put the Big Ten team through it just because I think there's, it's such a strong conference. Um, and Wisconsin's such a good defensive team. That's always translated well in the tournament. They have trouble scoring at times, but at the end of the day, they're going to get stopped when they need to. So if I had to pick one, I would say Wisconsin, but I also like Minnesota, Illinois, the other mid, mid-range teams in the Big Ten. And it's, you know, I never want to bet against Wisconsin – you know, while Bo Ryan's coaching them, they always play great defense, and they always find these big, goofy white guys that just go off in the most random games. As a Purdue fan, it's very frustrating. Uh, we'll move on to our final subject. Uh, it's kind of a mixture, high school, NCAA, uh, and NBA conversation, discussing the NBA's age restriction, or as fans call it, the one-and-done rule. Uh, I recently wrote a column for SweetSports.com after Nerland's Noel's injury. Uh, basically said that I thought the rule was instituted just so that the NBA could make stars out of these guys in March Madness, and I thought that the rule was now outdated because these kids are now becoming stars in AAU, high school, uh, due to increased recruiting coverage. Uh, I also think that the improvement of scouting, the availability of extensive game tape on these guys, makes you know missing on a kid in high school a little bit harder. Uh, now, still at the NBA, they don't really have to care what this does to college basketball, but I don't think the rule makes much sense for them either. My question to both of you, and Jeremy, I'm going to let you take first stab at this because I know you totally disagree with me. Uh, I don't think the rule makes sense for the NBA, but what effects positive and negative does this have on the NBA and college basketball? Well, the positive 
for the NBA, it's just more exposure to these people in terms of scouting and all that stuff. You know, they're playing better competition in college than they likely are in high school. Obviously, AAU teams, like, they're playing the best kids already. Um, yeah. But it's just, it's just a bigger sample to draw from when you're deciding who you're going to draft. Um, and, like, when we had talked about this before, um, the guys that a lot of people point to as saying, you know, high schools of the pros don't work, like Kwame Brown. But Kwame Brown's still in the league. He's not the yeah. guy that's the problem. The problem is the guy like Duty Eby, who got drafted in the first round. I think he played like 10 games in the league, and then as soon as rookie contract expired, he's out of the league. Yeah. And that hasn't really happened with any one-and-done guys. Like Sean Williams like was a one-and-done guy, and he was largely terrible in the league. But he, he still got a contract after his rookie contract. Like he played for the Knicks last year. So uh, like I'm, I'm sure there's – like Dante Green, that's the one that comes to mind. He's probably not going to get a contract. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, he's one guy that might not work out in terms of the one and done, but there's a handful of guys that went straight from high school to the pros that completely flamed out and, you know, were out of the league within two or three years. Um, yeah. And the other um, the other criticism after the Noel injury was that, you know, like would he have not torn his ACL if he was in the pros? Like it's sort of a fluke injury. It's not like you can predict that yeah. happening. Um, well, I don't think the, the, I don't think time, the criticism was that he would not have injured. I think the criticism is he should have been making a mil, you know, millions of dollars while being injured. But the point is, yeah, like he might lose a little bit of money, but he was he was projected to probably be the number one pick yeah. for the injury. But even after the injury, he's still going to be a top five pick. It's not like he's yeah. dropping out of the lottery and losing twenty million dollars in the process. Like the the difference between the number one picks contract and the number three picks contract is like $5 million over four years. It's really not it, – it's $5 million, but for these guys, where the money comes is their second contract. And if he plays well in that in the rookie contract, he's going to get a max deal regardless of his torn ACL five years ago. Like, that's not going to be a problem for him. So, in the long run, I really don't see it being a difference for him. Um, mm-hmm. I think it works in terms of what the NBA does. Obviously, college fans don't like it because they would prefer – players to stay longer or not be there at all. But, I mean, it's worked out for Kentucky. They won the title doing it. So, Yeah, yeah, I, definitely. I think John Calipari certainly loves the one-and-done rule. Uh, Kells, over to you. Your thoughts on it. Right. Well, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of, obviously, there's a lot of comparisons you can make to players that have done it in the past. But I think the point is, I don't think it's fair to these kids to, to make them go to college or to make them, you know, ki- keep them out of the league when there's some of them who are clearly ready. I think Anthony Davis last year was obviously ready for the NBA. Uh, you look, obviously, uh, Kyrie Irving a few years back, he hurt himself too. He was still the number one pick uh, in the draft. But I just think it's hard for me when you look at the, the whole structure of college sports and the fact that they're making so much money off of these kids, uh, you know, the new TV deals, the new super conferences that are just ridiculous. They're making so much money off these kids that, I think to keep them out and to keep them from getting their piece of the pie uh, when they're ready for it is, is just kind of wrong. I don't I don't like the rule. I think it's it's good for college basketball for you know competition wise. Although I think you know the younger teams uh, does bring the play down a little bit. Uh, but I, I just think as a whole, I think these kids if they're ready, if the teams are going to take them, teams don't have to take them. You know they could take. Yeah. You know it's not like anyone's tying you know their hands behind their back telling them they have to take high school kids. Why are they not allowed in there? I, I, I have a problem with that. 
Fair enough. All right. Last I, question. You just got you got thirty seconds. This, we got we got to finish up real quick because we got uh, Mike D'Antoni's actually coming on our sports radio right after us. So we can't be late. Uh, okay. First of all, okay. My original argument about this was that Costa Cufos got drafted in the first round even after stinking in college. So what's the difference if a kid ends up going in the first round? I didn't think the one year did him any good. So I'll give you each thirty seconds. Jeremy, tell me why Costa Cufos is good, and Kels, tell me why he stinks. Costa Cupas is, is good because he plays a legitimate role for a playoff team in the NBA. If you look at his stats right now, these are his per-game stats. He has the 8.7 rebounds, shoots 60% from the floor, and he's only playing 23 minutes a game. So if you normalize those stats to, like, starter minutes, if you give him 36 minutes, it's 13 points, 11 rebounds. Um, and he's one of the most underrated defensive players in the league, too. Like, he's a really good positional defender. He doesn't get lost in pick-and-roll coverage very often. Um, I, I really don't know what, what else to say besides that. Like he, he <laughs> plays for a playoff team. You can't suck yeah. and play for a playoff team. It doesn't happen. All right, fair enough. Kels, you got anything for me? I got two words, two words in response. Adam Morrison. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> but Adam uh, Morrison was the guy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just because his name is Kufus. It just it, he sounds he sounds like he's terrible. I mean, he's a big. <laughs> he's seven feet. I mean, he he should be a little more skilled. You're going to be that big. Uh, I, I just you know he's awful. I got nothing else to say. That's All right, guys. Awful. Well, incredibly intelligent debate uh, as always. Thanks thanks for both of your opinions. Uh, once again, this was taking you to school. Our, our inaugural episode. I'm Joe Perello with Kells Dayton and Jeremy Conlin. Uh, stay tuned, though, on RF Sports Radio. We've got Lakers head coach Mike D'Antoni coming on right after we finish up. That'll be coming your way uh, in about 35 seconds. Uh, once again, I'm Joe Perello of SweetSports.com. That's S-U-I-T-E Sports.com. Here with my colleague Jeremy Conlin, our founder, also writes for Clipper Blog, and Kells Dayton of <laughs> Round Ball Daily and Sheridan Hoops, also writes for Slam Magazine. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you again next week, same time, same station. Have a great week, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.